Hey everyone, we decided to re-air one of our top episodes of 2022 this week, and we know we have a ton of new listeners, so you may have missed this one. I hope you enjoy it, and we'll see you back very soon with a bunch of new episodes. All right, I hope you enjoy this one. Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori, and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to the show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. And for the last year and a half, I've worked diligently on starting a new business all around helping women tackle their period problems and hormonal imbalances using a natural whole foods approach. If you're suffering from extreme cramps, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about my company, Bia. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I want to welcome this week's guest, Amy Liu, to our show today. Amy is the founder and CEO of Tower 28, a beauty company inclusive of all skin tones, skin types, budgets, and beauty philosophies. Over 14 years, Amy worked as a beauty executive at some of the fastest growing prestige companies, including Smashbox, Kate Somerville, and Josie Marin Cosmetics. But as a longtime eczema sufferer, she couldn't even enjoy the best part of working in the beauty industry, which was trying out all the products. Even the clean alternatives were super expensive or too clinical, like they were coming straight from a doctor's office. Amy saw this white space as an opportunity and set out to create Tower 28. It's a beauty brand that's 100% clean, vegan, and free of every known skin irritant. Here are a few highlights of what we covered today in our episode with Amy. Why it's never too late to follow your dreams and the benefits of starting a company after you have some experience under your belt. Her approach to leaving corporate and how she thought about the transition into entrepreneurship. How Amy came up with her unique idea and created awareness very early on. The power of networking and how to foster genuine relationships in life and so, so much more. This is a fun one. I feel like Amy and I are chatting over coffee even though we did it virtually, but it's a good masterclass for entrepreneurship and really what goes into every single aspect of creating a business, launching it and growing it. So I hope you enjoyed this one. Welcome to the show, Amy. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I know we briefly connected at a dinner we most recently went to and we all went around the table and said something about our journeys. And I remember hearing your story and just how vulnerable and honest you are about building Tower 28 that I was like, she needs to come on my podcast. So I'm super pumped that you're here and I can't wait for our audience to learn more about you. But before we go into your story, I'd actually love to talk about something that you often talk about in interviews. The fact that you are quote unquote risk adverse, you know, which is interesting to see, right? As an entrepreneur, as someone who's been really at the helm of this high growth business, how did you become comfortable with this quote unquote risk and really go against those natural tendencies of being more risk adverse? Yeah, I think probably the best way to start this is by explaining why I think I'm probably risk adverse. So a few things. One, my parents moved to America from Taiwan at the time, and I was born in Minnesota. They went to grad school and they really came here in search of the American dream. My dad was an entrepreneur and my dad, you know, he had success in his life. And then at one point he didn't. So I think the reason why I wanted to be an entrepreneur was because I saw the difference between my mom and my dad. My dad really loved what he did, but he felt all of it, you know, the highs and the lows. And, and you saw him like on the weekends we would go to, he was a property developer and he would take me to go look at like condos being built. And he would, you, you would go to a hotel and he would be touching the elevators and trying to understand what was happening. And so I saw that. And then I saw my mom and my mom had this nine to five job. She was an auditor. I still can't tell you what she did. She never talked about it. She went to work at the same time every day. She came home at the same time every day. And so I think young age, I saw my dad and I was like, that's what I want. I want to be so passionate. I want to care. But then truthfully, what happened was when I was in high school, my dad's business kind of fell apart. It was the financial markets, the construction, real estate, everything kind of fell apart. And at the time he ended up closing down his business. And so I think like having seen that actually did make me very risk adverse. In addition to the fact that by the way, my dad, my entire life has been like, I get that you want to do this because I did it. But by the way, I don't think you should. 
I think it's way easier to go work for someone and just build a career. So I think I had this background of like seeing it, wanting it. And then instead, I think my answer was just to prepare for it. So I worked for other people for a really long time. I went to business school. I majored in entrepreneurship. I told myself I was getting a seat at the table and I was really learning. And I think I did. But the truth is, you know, by the time that I started, I mean, I was 40 when I started this business. When I went to go raise money, I was 40 years old. And I think at the time I had three kids in private school and I had a mortgage and we had a dual income. And so I think it's pretty hard to afford those things in LA. And that's a real financial risk, right? To do that and also to think about starting a business was really hard for me or to not make money, right? And the truth is I probably wouldn't have done any of those things if I didn't get the opportunity that I did. So I am risk adverse, all that long-winded way of saying, yes, I am very risk adverse. I'm trying to have more of an abundance mindset. That is something that is really not so natural to me, I think. But at the same time, I think what really did happen was I got an opportunity and I just couldn't, it felt like I would be crazy if I didn't chase it. Yes. And oh my goodness, there's so many similarities actually with your father, how you were raised and the dynamics that are very similar to my journey. So this definitely resonates a lot to me. And, you know, I'm curious. So before we kind of go into that one opportunity that really pushed you into entrepreneurship, you know, you weren't consulting. That was a stable job, right? You go to undergrad, everyone either does like banking or consulting. So I get all that. And then you go to grad school. And like you said, you studied entrepreneurship. So you've always had that at the back of your mind. And from there, you ended up working at different beauty brands. So I'd love to hear kind of the transition between how you went from grad school and why you decided to go into beauty and really your aspirations at the time before you even started the business. Yeah. So when I was in undergrad, I really never knew what I wanted to do, right? I had this like idea of entrepreneurship, but at the time, it's not like the world is today, right? That didn't really exist in a way that felt like it was achievable. And so I didn't know what I wanted to do. I did exactly what you said. I had my mom, my mom and dad actually sent me to go see this cousin of mine. And they were like, oh, you know, you should go find out she's successful. She went to Harvard. You know, that's what every Asian parent does. Right. And she was like, listen, if you don't know what to do, you should go into consulting. And I went into consulting. And after that, I kind of felt like I had this, like, I don't know, I call it like my quarter life crisis because I really was like, this is not what I want to do, but I don't know what I do want to do. And that's really the reason I went to business school. And I read all these books called, I don't know if you ever read What Color Is My Parachute? Or there's these iconic books, What Should I Do With My Life? And I just, I was trying to figure out what I wanted. And I think in the end, it's interesting because I'm actually not obsessed with makeup right? I'm not a makeup junkie. I'm not the kind of person that walks into Sephora and I'm like, you can't hold me back because I just want to fill up my basket. That is not actually what's in it for me. I think I wanted to work with a product because I wanted something tangible and I wanted to be able to see something that I put into the world. And I wanted it to relate to women and people that I could understand. And specific to makeup, I think the thing I really love about makeup is Makeup makes people happy and it makes them feel more confident about themselves. And I genuinely do believe that if you feel more confident, the way that you walk through the world is different and your ability to like do things and approach life is changed. And so that's what it was for me. So I ended up trying, I remember going to see my career counselor when I was in business school and I was like, okay, what I really want to do is entrepreneurship and specifically I want to do beauty, but I don't know how that works. So what I'm going to do is go work for other people. I think it should be beauty or fashion. And I was like, I think fashion is a little too subjective, right? Like it's always like, who knows what's going to be trendy. And I thought beauty was a little bit more linear. You know, it has cycles, there's data involved. It's easier to make a right decision. And I'm, I'm a bit more of a linear thinker. And so that's why I decided to go into beauty. But I think kind of like what you said, I took the safer route, which is I'm going to learn on someone else's dime. And that's what I did. So I went to go work for, when I was in business school, I started working at Smashbox Cosmetics. Then I went to Kate Somerville. Then I went to Josie Marin. And then I spent four years working for kind of local indie brands and consulting and actually took some time off from a full-time role. So I took four years where I raised, I had my third child. And I think that's very much a big part of my journey too, is 
I wanted it all. Like I, I still do want it all. I want to have a family. I want to have a strong marriage. I want to have friends. <laughs> I want to, yes. in addition to the fact that I want to be an entrepreneur. And I think it's hard. I think sometimes because we compare ourselves to other people. And I think a lot of times during my journey, I've looked at other people and been like, I'm not there. I'm not fast enough. I'm not doing it because I didn't start doing this until I was, I didn't raise money until I was 40 and 44. Now we raised money. I raised money four years ago and I ended up launching three years ago. So I guess for anyone listening to this, one thing I really would like people to know is like, I just don't think there's a, a right time. I think it's very specific to you. And I don't think it's too late anymore. I think there's no prototype for like exactly how you should do this and what it looks like. You know, what I love so much about that is you mentioned something in terms of working with other brands so you can learn on their dime. And I think that is game changing. And I know you mentioned you were still a little bit nervous to go and take the leap to start your business, but I always give that advice to people. If you could go work for other entrepreneurs or other industries that you might see yourself with, you do build that confidence. And that really helped me. And I had a very similar position to you, but I think starting a business a little bit later, having some experience could really give you that confidence to eventually go out on your own. So I don't know if, if you felt that same way as well from that experience. 100%. And I also didn't have, I mean, part of the reason is because I didn't have a landing pad, right? Like if it didn't go well, I was afraid in so many ways. But I think the other thing that you mentioned, confidence, is I think getting closer and having a seat at the table and working directly with founders, it kind of demystified it for me, right? So the closer mm -hmm. I got to it, I mean, not to say that the other people I worked with, they have different, they're good at different things than I'm good at, right? But I just realized that it just normalized it. So you're like, oh, I don't know. I didn't go to Harvard. So I remember when I was younger, I was like, it was so prestigious for my parents to be in the Ivy League. Like it was such a big deal. And I went to a UC. And so I remember feeling like, oh, maybe that was, is a really scary thing. Today, my best friend went to Harvard and I'm like, Oh yeah. Not to say it's not a big deal, but just like, it's not that crazy. You know, <laughs> I love that. And I think that's important. And a big reason of why I wanted to have these conversations, because similar to you, I remember, I never thought I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur, never thought I really had the chops yet. And then I worked at a tech company and he's a serial entrepreneur, like raised 15 million on an idea. And I remember sitting in that room being like the sixth employee. And I'm like, wow, nobody knows what they're doing, right? Even the successful entrepreneur. Yeah. And like you said, demystifying it. And that's exactly what I mean. And I don't, by the way, I don't mean to make light of Harvard is very hard to get into. <laughs> like it's a big yeah. deal. I, just meant, I think sometimes we don't give ourselves the credit and we don't allow ourselves to think things are possible because we compare ourselves to other people's resumes or other people, like what we think somebody else might have and that we don't have that thing. And I think the closer you can get to it, you realize like we're all kind of a hot mess. Yeah. Every company I've worked at, big or small, because a lot of the companies I've worked at were small and got bigger. It all always comes down to process, communication. Everything's messy. It's just a different kind of messy at different points, but we're all people, right? So I remember someone saying to me once that every business is like a long shadow of its founder or its leader. And I think that's kind of true. And all of us are fallible too. So it's just different ways of doing it, but it did give me a lot more confidence. And the other thing it gave me is it gave me a lot more resources, right? So now I don't know the answer. The truth is I thought I knew more going into this than I actually do. I think the world has changed a lot. And I think just because you have worked near someone doesn't mean you know how to do their job. I understand every vertical in terms of what it does, but that doesn't mean I'm good at doing that job. And I think it was a really humbling experience because I had told myself like, oh, I've worn lots of different hats. I've worked at small companies. I could do this, but no, actually I can't. But the benefit I've had compared to maybe someone who started this like out of college or something is that I have like a direct line into a friend who's like the VP of another company or like, you know what I mean? Just the ability to have resources and ask questions I think that's a huge benefit I've had. And that all felt like de-risking to me. Doing something where I had resources or people to turn to was hugely beneficial. 
Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. I wanted to tell you a quick story. Before I started this podcast, I was working extremely long and crazy hours in banking and then in tech. I was totally burnt out, not living my truth and dreaming of always building my own empire. With all of this stress, it came really debilitating periods from bloating, cramping, extreme breast tenderness and really unpredictable moods. I would always complain to my friends that I was literally out of commission for at least a week every single month. And that adds up to three months in every year. Other than feeling frustrated that my really bad periods were keeping me from pursuing my actual goals, I knew that something wasn't right. Women are not inherently designed to suffer every single month. That's when I learned about hormonal imbalances. I started working with functional medicine doctors who told me that years of stress combined with taking birth control pills long-term created a cascade of hormonal damage in my body. This is why I felt bloated, tired, crampy, and moody before and throughout my period. They recommended I try something called seed cycling. And let me tell you, it's changed my life. Seed cycling is the simple process of using food as medicine to naturally support your hormones. It uses four different types of seeds, yes, actual seeds, throughout your menstrual cycle to support the balance of hormones like progesterone and estrogen and give your body critical nutrients it needs to achieve your best health. Within weeks of starting this process, I noticed major shifts in my period and my overall health. But I also noticed that seed cycling is actually kind of hard to do. I wanted the best quality seeds freshly ground in the right amount, but it was very time consuming. So I decided to create a simple and effective way for anyone to start seed cycling today using the highest quality organic seeds in the right amounts with the right support. It's called Bia and I'm so excited to bring it to you. Now anyone struggling with hormonal imbalances can easily incorporate seed cycling into their busy schedule with the Bia Seed Cycling Bundle. This process has been life-changing for me. I no longer deal with cramps, bloating, breast tenderness, or any other PMS symptoms before my period. It's been a complete game changer, and it's allowed me to focus on things that matter most to me, like this podcast and building my own empire. And most importantly, I want this for you too. If you or anyone you know has been struggling with hormonal imbalances or bad periods, go to beawellness.com slash free. Once again, it's beawellness.com slash free to download our free guide to our top tips in tackling hormonal imbalances and to learn more about our seed cycling bundle. We included this link in the show notes along with a promo code for $10 off for all of our Behind Her Empire listeners. I know you're going to love seed cycling just as much as I do. Thanks for listening listening. And now let's get back to the show. I think that's so key. And I always tell people like, if you can foster those relationships now, you never know where they could land you in the future. And we'll kind of talk about your journey in a few key moments from people who were in your network from the past. But before, you know, you even going and starting Tower 28, one thing you mentioned, so you were working with all these founder-led brands, you were building the confidence, really seeing what it took to build a business. But like you said, you had three kids in the middle of all this, and you really did slow down a little bit, I believe, by your third. And you mentioned this in another interview, but you took some time off to raise your kids, and you were a bit scared that maybe your skill set was somewhat irrelevant, and you had more of that fear of failure. So tell me more about you know your mindset at the time, because I think that's relatable for so many women who might kind of take a pause in their career career to kind of focus on personal life. Yeah. You know, I think it's a hard thing because in our society, a few things. One, I think it's pretty expensive to, when you're young and you're having kids, you're kind of generally, if you're doing it in your thirties, you're near that. You're kind of just getting to the point where your career is starting to kick in. So like I literally yeah. got my first head of marketing role. I was the head of marketing at Kate Somerville and I got pregnant almost like in the same breath. And wow. I was like, wait, this is not the way it was supposed to go, right? I'm trying to like put the gas in my career, but at the same time, I'm like having a kid. And I think it's really hard. And there was a point at which I had two kids and I was at, I was a VP of marketing at Josie Marin and that company was growing really quickly and that things were going well as a business. But I myself had this feeling of, I feel like I'm doing a lot of things, but I'm not doing anything really well. And I think that's a really hard place to be in because you if you really want to be 
you want to feel like the things that you are putting out into the world are worth doing, right? And I think especially like being, having young children, I think in America is very expensive and we don't do a good job of supporting mothers and we don't make it easy. Like the cost of childcare in Los Angeles is very high. I don't know. I was not super happy to be honest with you because I felt like I was juggling and I felt like I was failing. And so long story short, I quit my job and I took four years off and then I spent some time consulting and I was worried and I kept my toe in the water because I was afraid, frankly, that I wouldn't be able to go back when I was ready to. And I also didn't know when I would go back. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like a planned sabbatical where it was like, okay, and in four years, I'm going back. Because I think if you knew what was going to come after, you could enjoy where you were where you are, but that's just not the way that life works. Right. But I also knew it was really important to me to have this experience of being with my kids and my family. And I'm lucky enough that it was something that my husband could support. And so I did do that. But I think there are so many moms I meet that feel like they have to make that choice. I feel really grateful and lucky that I was able to I think it was because I had a strong enough of a resume that I could go back, right? But I think it's hard. It's hard. I mean, the truth is, I think anyone probably could go back. It just depends on what they want to do and what you want to do and how you're set up. But I don't think society helps us very much in that sense. Absolutely. And I think, like you kind of mentioned, you kind of kept one toe in the water of just consulting so you can stay relevant. And I've just heard a lot of women on the podcast say that as well as like they took a break, but they were consulting like they were just a little afraid to be out of the loop because you don't really know where things can be in a few years and whatnot. When I started Tower 28, I didn't even have an Instagram account. I personally wasn't even on Instagram. So I just wasn't part of that world and I didn't participate in it. You know, I was like, it just wasn't my thing yet. And so I think you can learn anything if you're a smart person. And I think the same. The world before and now, like I've worked in the industry for a long time, it hasn't really changed, but it's democratized, right? So influence has always been important. We've always looked up to, it just used to be we looked up to celebrities and editors because they were the ones who had the power of influence. And now it's been democratized into Instagram influencers and TikTok influencers and experts that are more every day. I guess I would say, because I think that's kind of your point and what I would wish I had known is as long as you are smart and capable and willing to learn and curious, I think you'll be able to go back after having kids and it's okay to take a break, but I would recommend doing what we just talked about. And even for the sake of your resume, like keeping a toe in the water and keeping your context fresh and keeping your mind fresh. So that just kind of leads me to, you know, in terms of Tower 28, I know you wanted to start a business, but never really were sure how to do it. Because like you said, you guys had three kids, you had a mortgage, you know, financial stability was important to you, even when you took some time off between your gigs. But tell me more about how this one conversation really completely shifted the way you thought about entrepreneurship, or maybe the few steps before that. Yeah. So I went to business school, like I mentioned, and I had a friend named Charles and he was the co-president of the Entrepreneurship and Venture Management Association. (laughs) And he, when we graduated from business school, he went and started a company and I did not, right? Like I didn't have the balls to do that. And so I met with him at one point when I was, after I I had taken this kind of hiatus of sorts and And I went to coffee and I was telling him, I was like, okay, I want to go back full time. My daughter had just started preschool and I was like, this feels like the right moment. So my third was in preschool at the time. And I was like, this is what I want. I want something with a lot of equity. I want upside. I want a big role, all these things. And he looked at me and he was like, you've been saying for years now that you wanted to do something on your own. You're kind of getting old. Why aren't you like shitter it off the pot? Like, why aren't you doing it? And I said to him, I was like, listen, I don't have the money and I don't have a partner. And so instead, I'm just going to go work for someone. And he said to me, he was like, well, if you have money, you don't need a partner. You can go hire people. And I was like, okay, that's fine. I still don't have money. And he was like, well, if you have a great idea, then why don't I be your first money in and I will give you half of whatever you need? And he's like, how much do you think you need? And coincidentally, I had just been hired to write somebody else's business plan. And based on their business plan, they needed 250000 And I was like, well, I just did this business plan and they need two hundred and fifty. And he's like, well, if you think you need two fifty, you need 500 So 
I will give you 250 if you can raise the other 250 within 30 days. So what happened is he had sold his company and he wanted to roll over. He wanted to invest in something else so he could like roll over and avoid capital gains or whatever. And so he had a very finite window that he needed to do this within or else he couldn't do it. Right. And the beauty of it was it kind of gamified things for me. Right. It was an opportunity and either I was going to meet this opportunity or I was going to let it go. And I think having that kick in the butt was so good for me. And also he gave me terms. He was like, these are the terms I want. Go and shop them. Don't trust me just because I'm your friend. See if people respond to it. And, and if they tell you that I'm a jerk, then don't do it. And I think that was such a good advice. And I always say, don't ask people for money, ask them for advice. I genuinely was looking for advice, right? So I did start, like I had this opportunity. I started asking people, are these good terms? I have this opportunity. I think I'm going to take it, but what do you think? And so many people were like, you've been saying you want to do this for years because everybody in my life had known. And I don't even know if I quite knew how much I had verbalized it, but I think that's another thing I would tell people. If there's something that you want in the world, you do need to go out and tell people because they will think of you, right? Like when I was in business school, I became the person where if anyone knew anything about beauty, they would come tell me because they were like, oh wait, I know somebody. I was the one person, right? So I think like if you can tell people in the world, this is this thing that I want to do, they will come to you. And it is a little woo-woo, but I believe in that kind of like manifestation of it. But anyway, so I had this opportunity and I was able to raise the money after that. And I feel like when I tell this story, sometimes people think, oh, you're just friends with like rich people. It was actually not like that. It was like people who used to work with me, people who used to work for me, friends, people would come in with their sister or brother and be like, okay, let's, can I give you a smaller check, but I'll get somebody else to do it. And then word kind of even got out. And like my neighbor was like, wait, I heard you're doing this thing. Can I get in? And it did happen. But I think, and even now, I think some people say, oh, it feels like Tower 28 happened really quickly. Like you've had so much success so fast. I do feel lucky that things have happened fairly quickly. But at the same time, I'm like, I've worked in the same industry yeah. for a really long time. It was 14 years before I've been percolating and thinking about this for 14 years before I started. So I was planting the seeds and creating those relationships that were so important in advance. Maybe not knowing that that's what I was doing, but that is what happened. So yes, that was a conversation that happened. And after that, I was lucky. And then we pulled our kids out of private school because that is really expensive. <laughs> and I started. Yeah. And you know, I'm, and I love that you talked about that because it's kind of like the realities of shifting your lifestyle for how your family dynamics are going to change when one person is taking so much risk. So I appreciate you sharing that. And one thing that I just wanted to highlight, some people might look at you and say that you're quote unquote lucky, but like you said, you were not intimidated to put yourself out there. And I think because you said you were looking for advice, right? It's a little bit easier to connect with people in your past and old colleagues. And you're like, hey, I have this idea, which is so important to talk about. What advice do you have? So even you being open to do that is a big deal. And a lot of people might at that point kind of stop and be scared to ask people for totally. quote unquote money. But the way you approached it was unique in terms of advice. Totally. And I think even when I talked to someone, even if they said no, because it's not like everybody I talked to said yes, but yeah. sometimes they would say, actually, you know what though, you should talk to this and this person. Or I would ask, I would say, okay, you don't do this type of investing. Do you know anyone else that does? And they would put me in touch with people. And I mean, I definitely have people on my cap table that I didn't know at all before this. And I definitely also met with people who were like, this is a terrible idea. Don't do this. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so there's both versions of it. And I think it's really easy to just focus on the easy part. And certainly I did feel like I caught a break, but even catching a break, like Charles, this friend of mine, yes, I'm lucky that he was able to do it and he chose me. But at the same time, that was a relationship that was created over a long period of time. And yeah. I just think even you said this earlier, nurturing relationships and just being kind with no expectation and being I just, I always think people, you earn the reputation that you have, right? And so I say this all the time to my team. It's probably the thing that I care about the most is reputation. Get back to people. Like if you can't do it, it's okay. Just tell me that you're not going to be able to do it. 
the, the power of communication is so key and like every life stage you're in and just how you, like you said, reputation is big and it's cool to even see similar to you just to emphasize how important it is. I also am a little bit later in my life, had a, multiple careers before and so many people from my past are here to support. But I will say like similar to your opportunity with Charles, when you see an opportunity, like you jump on it, right? You jumped on it. And I feel like that is something I do as well. So you can call it luck, but there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes to, right? Jump on that opportunity. And, you know, I'm curious when you were having this conversation with Charles, did you have an exact idea around what you wanted to bring into the world? Like, did you have your first product idea or where were you at at the time with your business? This is actually something I have not talked about a lot publicly, but I actually started three businesses before this one all of which obviously have failed. <laughs> and I think if I look at those three businesses, the commonality there is I was banking on someone else's idea and somebody mm. else's know-how. Like I really wanted a partner. And I think it goes back to me being yeah. risk adverse. And I was like, okay, well, you're smart. You're good. I'll do the work. And, and a few of these deals were that. Like I'll do the work. You're the money, whatever it is. And I wasn't taking a bet on myself. And I think the reason, partly I think the reason why this has gone well is it was the first time that I was like, well, what if we solve a problem that I have and put myself in it more? And that was really the biggest difference. So no, I actually, I had had the idea for what Tower 28 is. So Tower 28 is truthfully, it is the intersection of not only clean beauty, but it is clean, non-toxic beauty that is safe for sensitive skin. And eczema is something that I have suffered with for my entire adult life. Like from the time I graduated from college, I've had issues with eczema. And I think one of the things that was really hard for me is working in the beauty industry. I don't know, even if no one says it to you, you implicitly feel like when you tell someone you look work in the beauty industry that they expect you to have like perfect skin and that you know how to do your makeup. And I was a person who was pitching Sephora and everybody else on like the latest and greatest, whatever it is. And I was like, but don't look at my skin. Don't look at my face. And it really, now it's not so bad before it was very extreme for me. Like it would show up on my face. It would show up on my hands and behind my legs and joints. Um, and so really like, it's interesting because Tower 28 was the first time I really was like, well, what is something I would want in the world and a problem I can solve as opposed to, I think, putting my energy and efforts into taking someone else's dream and helping to make it come true, which is actually something I told myself I was quite good at. Like I was a pretty good number two, right? I was good at writing. You know, I used to write like Kate Somerville and Josie. I would write all their speeches for them. I would do all of their PR stuff for them. And I felt like I was really good at actualizing someone else's dream. And when it came to me, I don't think I had the confidence initially to be like, Oh, anyone would care about my, what I thought or what my dream was. And so I do think that's a huge part of what has made me successful in this role is I think I've been able to kind of find my voice. Yeah. And when you met with Charles, did you have an idea about the first product at the time? No, you didn't. No, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't expect it at the time. I think I did percolate on the concept and it really always was oh, I wish there was, I'd gone to Sephora myself many times yeah. and been like, hey, I have really sensitive skin. What kind of like, but I really want to cover it up. What kind of makeup do you have for me? And they would always take me to like either Bare Minerals or First Aid Beauty. And there is nothing wrong with those brands, but I wanted something that was a little more fun and a little more representative of like, I don't know, my lifestyle. And so that's really what I wanted. The concept and the idea, I think, had been there, but it wasn't until this conversation that I really had to like put pen to paper and be like, but what does it really look like for me? And I think just taking that time, because all of us have these different ideas, right? Like I'm always like, one day I'll start this, or, you know, there's so many things floating in the ether. But when you sit down and really think about, okay, how do I create that into a product or create it tangibly? Just carving out that time, I think is really game changing because we all have different ideas. And, you know, one thing I'm curious about, because you can easily say, especially as someone who's worked in beauty, you've seen so many different products. And I'm sure you had people, family members or friends say, you know what, Amy, like, it is so saturated. Beauty is not easy by any means. So how did you kind of get over that hurdle? Because I'm sure you even had access to so many different brands that we don't. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I am 
a little bit cynical, right? And even now I see things or someone will pitch me something or we'll talk about a product and I'm like, oh, but so-and-so already did that like 10 years ago. And even speaking to how deflating that process can be, my dad, I think I mentioned this earlier, right? He was a huge inspiration for me and being an entrepreneur. Like I pitched my dad when I was raising money and I was like, I've got this opportunity. I've got this money. He was one of those people I went to for advice and he sat and he listened to my whole pitch and he was like, yeah, I'm not going to give you money. I think this sounds hard. I think it sounds like it's really noisy and hard. And I, he was very pragmatic about it, but he was like, it's just not, I just don't think I'm going to get my money back on a very, very pragmatic basis. And it was soul crushing to me because part of you is like, oh wait, he's right. And I would argue that's true a hundred percent. Like it is a really very crowded market in everything right now. What beverages, anything you want to name, right? Every category is really very, very crowded. But I think you have to have a point of view and a point of difference. And you have to believe that what you're putting into the world is going to fill a need gap and not just be the same as everything else. And then I think if you can find that intersection of all of those things, then I think you do have a shot at it. But it is hard to push past like what you're saying, the awareness that yeah. it's interesting. So I, I always have thought about this, but Josie and Katie specifically, Josie Marion and Kate Somerville, I remember because I used to do the press for them. Every time people would always ask them, are you surprised by your success? And they would both always say, no, I always knew that this was going to be successful. I always knew. And when people ask me that, I'm like, yeah. I had no idea. <laughs> No, I did not. Have, maybe my investors would not want me to say that, but <laughs> you know, because I did obviously take money from them. I was panicked. I took money from my friends. I took money from the people I vacationed with. I go to dinner with. Like it wasn't risk free in a different way, right? It felt really heavy for me. And now it's good. But like my best friend and I had a lot of conversations. She invested, and in, we had a lot of conversations about well, what happens if this doesn't go well. Are we going to be okay? I don't know. A long-winded answer. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's really interesting. And just kind of thinking about, I had a very similar experience and obviously I'm only a year into my journey. So very early compared to you, but I guess when I launched the business, I knew similarly to you, I had a mission, like an overarching mission of what I was passionate about because of my own problem and my own need, but the product I wasn't sure how it was going to go. I was like, we might be too early. It might be complicated. Like, how can we put it out there? And similar to kind of like, I think the way you thought about it, I wasn't sure how it was going to be. But did you know that whether this product, your first hero product, if that didn't work out, did you have faith that you would figure something out under that umbrella of your overall mission for Tower 28? Yeah, I think I knew what I wanted to do. Like I, what I wanted, I knew the answer. I knew the question I was trying to answer. And the question I was trying to answer was basically, I wanted people to feel safe using my products. I wanted people, whether that meant, and that's weird here by the Clean at Sephora list, we adhere by the national, we're actually the only makeup brand that 100% adheres to the National Eczema Association's no-no list. Amazing. And I think like, again, to your point about having experience along the way of my career journey, I was sort of like, well, I don't know why we're making that decision or that decision. And I think a lot of that shows up in our products, meaning Kate Somerville is a beautiful line, but it was a very prestige, expensive line. And so we spent a lot of money on packaging. And I was like, could I do this and not spend money on packaging and pass on the savings to my customer, right? And it's just a different goal, right? Like it's a different price point. But those were like, I kind of collected over time things that felt like my values about what I wanted this to be. I knew the umbrella. I just didn't know how it was going to be manifested exactly. And then as we went, I, but I knew things like, you know, I didn't want to have extras, both from a sustainability perspective and from a cost perspective, because I wanted the price point to be accessible. So if you look at our compacts, for instance, we don't have a pan just because it's unnecessary. We do a hot pour, which means we pour directly into the component. We don't have a mirror. We use a component that doesn't have any tooling, meaning we're not paying huge upfront fees. We're using things that are actually kind of stock, but then we're customizing it by decorating it in our own way. And we're able to pass on those but I wanted it to also be at Sephora. I wanted it to be this 
accessible price point in a prestige environment and that somebody still felt proud pulling out of their purse because some people want that. So everybody wants like a little bit of that treat feeling, right? So no, I think to your point, like I, I knew what I wanted, but I think the journey of figuring out how it shows up for you that is a bit of a process, right? Yeah, exactly. And I know there was a story and I think it goes back to one thing you mentioned earlier is like how important it is to always be learning and be curious. And I think like one of your friends or her husband was surfing and he was putting something on his body and had a unique ingredient. So tell me more about that story because I think sometimes like just being very open-minded and curious about what's going on around you could spark different ideas for, you know, what your product could be. It's actually such a good point, Yasmin, because what happened was I really felt like, and again, I'm a linear thinker. I was a consultant. I went to business school, right? And I was like, okay, here's a need gap. I think there's a lot of product in the skincare market that is good for sensitive skin, but not in makeup. So this is where I'm going to go. And if I had been so rigid about that, then I wouldn't have ever seen this. But what happened is exactly what you're saying. So at the time I had a graphic designer person, an art director who came to me and she was like, hey, my husband has been using, he's a surfer and he gets reef cuts and he's been using this product and it has hypochlorous acid in it. And I'm reading the bottle and it says it's good for reef cuts, but it's really what it's good for is it's anti-inflammatory and antibacterial. And you're telling me, because I was telling her all about eczema and all these things for the products because we were trying to work on the art and everything. And she's like, based on everything you're telling me, I feel like this might be really good for your skin. So I tried it and it helped my, because I used to get eczema on my body. It helped my body, but it didn't help my face. And it was enough to be like, well, maybe there's something here. And I ended up finding a chemist. I interviewed multiple chemists, but I found a chemist who had been working on this for eight years to make it stable. I met with him and he kept playing with the formulation, playing with the concentration, the pH, all these different things. And we found one that was working for my skin. And so then I got a hundred little bottles and we started sending it out to anyone that me and the two young girls that were working with me, who are still with me, by the way, I'm super proud of that. Amazing. And we gave it out to people just to hear what they thought. And the response was amazing. And it was everything from one of the girls I'd interning for me at the time, she had a boob job and she was spraying it on the incision. Her doctor was like, I've never seen anybody heal that quickly. What are you using? To me with my eczema, another person with their acne, somebody else like was using it post sweat, another tattoo. I mean, it was like all these weird use cases. So everybody was like, what is this? It felt like, and we still call it this, you know, the Windex of like my big fat Greek wedding, that movie. <laughs> Where like you just keep spraying it on everything and it works. And it's kind of true. But to your point about being curious and open-minded, I was like, listen, I'm building this brand for people who have sensitive skin. And this seems to work for everybody with sensitive skin, whatever your issue is. Because the two main things with skin are any skin condition you have really is at the end of the day, some form of inflammation. And the thing that makes any inflammation worse is bacteria. So your skin wants to heal itself, right? Like if you were to get a cut, it wants to heal itself, but you need to help create what this product does is help create the environment so it can heal itself because it's calming and soothing. And then it's also going to help keep it clean because our bodies want to do that for itself. Now it's honestly, it's our number one selling skew, which is crazy because it's in the makeup area. And I really was like, no one's going to know what this is, but it's kind of created its own cult following and sold itself. We actually just, Haley Bieber just posted us this week and I almost oh died. Oh my God, amazing. Congratulations. Tell me more. So do you put this on before your makeup, like on clean skin? How does that product specifically work? Yes, I would think of it as a replacement for your toner. So I use oh, it and then tone and then moisturize is how I think of it. But in the morning, frankly, I don't even clean my skin with a cleanser, mostly because I, I am dry. And so I want all the oils from the night before, but yeah. And you can use it throughout the day. You can use it on the go. You can use it over makeup. I do think you get more benefit of using it on clean skin. Personally, it's been a really fun and wild ride. And I think the coolest part about it is that it's been so organic. Like I said, Haley Bieber, I tried DMing her and offering her (laughs) and nothing. And then all of a sudden she just posted and I've asked other people to gift her nothing. She must've bought it herself. I mean, I have no idea. Yeah. I literally have goosebumps. And I think it's just a testament to 
creating like a good quality product that works. Like you always hear about word of mouth, but it's true. Like now that I'm kind of living in this world and seeing word mm-hmm. of mouth on my own, like it is true. The the virality that can come from that and just seeing like a few years in how Haley Bieber just had her hands on it. You know, if you just focus on a good solution in a unique totally. way, you never know what can happen. Right? If you, I mean, and this is something I'm really proud of too, but if you look at our product page, all the before and afters that we have, were sourced by the community. It was literally like people in our community posting and saying like, this thing worked and it helped me so much. And then we would just reach out and be like, do you have a before and after that you'd like to share with us? Cause we'd love to share with our community. And in return, we'll give you another bottle of SOS, but we wouldn't do it unless somebody said that they already had this experience. And that's what all our before and afters are. So it really is genuinely true and organic. Oh, and that's what I think makes just like running a business so exciting is like, it's, you have really tough days, but when you really see the impact with someone, I'm like, this is why I'm doing it. Right. That energy you get is game changing. Oh, it's so true. I mean, it is my yeah. favorite part. We don't have, we're still not a big company. We don't have a big team. So we're, we're not like in the stores all the time or anything like that. But when I do get to meet people and they tell me things or like I read the reviews and they say like, this changed my skin. I just, I understand so much what it's like to have problematic skin and feel self-conscious yeah. that if I can do that for somebody else, it's so meaningful to me, but just, just cause I really understand what it's like. Totally. No, I love that. I love everything you guys are doing. And, you know, one thing that just kind of talking about your background, you know, you're very strong operationally and product development, but you know, you even mentioned you didn't even have an Instagram, right? How did you guys create awareness in the early days? Cause it's not like you had a big budget and a big team and, you know, you might have a network, but in terms of influence on your own, that didn't exist at the time. No, I have no influence on my own. <laughs> I mean, maybe now. Well, it's interesting, right? Like I, like you said, the influence I had was probably more, I was well-connected and I am well-connected in the beauty industry, right? So I was lucky enough that like I noticed, for instance, one of our, I think at the time we were getting like 50 or a hundred likes on our little mood board, but one of them was from the woman who ended up becoming our merchant at Sephora, the buyer I was friends with because I knew her from back in the day. I mean, granted, we were not best friends or anything like that, but enough that she was paying attention. Yeah. And so, yes, I had some connections going into it, but I think the bigger one is like, honestly, influence. Like we started with an Instagram mood board. I think we got really, really lucky that we had retail partners really early. So that's something I really leaned into. So Credo launched us very quickly. And then Sephora, frankly, six months after we launched, we were on Sephora. So we got really lucky. And then when we went into store, we went into all stores at the same time, which is something that happens almost never. So super grateful for all of that. And I think we've been very lucky to work with partners that just know how to build brands and really know how to support us and have been so great. So that's definitely part of it. The other part of it is I think we were really like hustling and I will give a lot of credit to the young girls on my team because they knew who was cool much better than I did. But we would literally build these lists of like, okay, well, who are the influencers that we want to gift? And now I would not recommend this, but back then we would just blind gift people. Even if they didn't respond back to you? Yeah. We would look on people's like YouTube page. They have their address sometimes and we would just send people things. And one of those people actually was Nicole Guerrero. I don't know if you know who she is. Um, Nicole Guerrero is like an old school beauty influencer. She's been around for a long time. She's huge. And we sent out these influencer boxes that were so unimpressive. And granted, this is like back when, I don't know if you remember, but back in the day, they they were sending like life-size beauty blenders. People were just really, it was like very ostentatious. And we sent a little box. I mean, it said our, it was a branded box, but it had shred in it and just our products. That's it Yeah. with a handwritten note. And we sent products. I will never forget. We sent products to Nicole Guerrero and she posted wow. unboxing, which a lot of people post unboxings. And then she posted herself using it. And then she posted herself buying, screen herself, like what video of her buying more and being like, oh my God, I love this so much. I'm going to buy three more of them. And overnight, it was like something 
I literally was like, did we get hacked? Because I didn't know it went up. And I was like, because all of a sudden our follower count went up, our views went up, everything kind of went up. And I was like, something happened. And our we started getting all these orders. And I think it's like that, to your point about morality, like when you know somebody doesn't have to buy things, they get gifted things, then you're like, wait, this product is really good. And it's funny because I still don't really have a relationship with Nicole Guerrero. Like I, after she gift, we gifted her, we sent her flowers, we, whatever, like, I don't, I don't really know her to be honest with you, but, and I don't know if she quite realizes like the impact she had yeah. at such a, at a, such an early stage. And by that, I don't just mean the money or the orders, but I think, and you probably understand this, Yasmin, but in these early days, you really need these moments of validation where you're like, oh my gosh, this is working. Mm-hmm. This thing that I put into the world is good and I should keep going. And it actually really means so much to me. And I, I think I never really understood that so much until doing this. And now I actually try much harder to support smaller businesses because I don't think I knew how important it was. Like, I honestly, I tip better now than I used to. I like, you know, I I just think more about it. You know, like I will listen to these podcasts, like I, and I'll go buy the thing from the person because I'm like, oh, wow, like it matters, right? In, I don't know. So, yeah. Yeah. No, it's so true because especially so early on, you're just so much more vulnerable and you might see your product working with some people, but the fact that people take the time to post and talk Mm -hmm. about it. And like you said, it really can change the trajectory of your business so early on. And we also had, I think like it was a first month we had an influencer buy our product. And I was like, her name looks familiar, but it did, it didn't click. And then she was so kind to talk about her experience. Shout out to mama Jotes. She's amazing. And it was a genuine like a genuine testimonial. And it was just such a proud moment for me. And then like another doctor also changed the trajectory for us. And I was like, wow, the impact that they make in such a vulnerable stage when you're so early is really game changing. So I think about it like you all the time. I'm also like tipping people just anywhere. It's, I just know the the work and the empathy is just so much bigger nowadays, now that I like started something and I'm running a business. So totally. And I think, you know, the other, I remember early on a, business person, an entrepreneur, a very successful entrepreneur I know, I said to him, I was like, okay, what should I be paying attention to? How do I define success? What are the metrics I should be looking at for the KPIs? And he was like, Amy, Amy, the only thing you should think about is momentum. Just listen to your customer. Like, what does your customer want? Keep listening. And he was saying that the momentum part of it, these proof points, you really psychologically, you need them to keep going. Because sometimes it's really hard. Like I think on Instagram versus reality, right? Like sometimes we tell these stories and it just says, oh, first she raised this money. It went super easy. Then she went into all Sephora's. It was super easy. And you're not telling the story of the in-between where it's like, oh, well, actually everyone told her it was really ugly and they, she didn't know she should launch it and she was scared. You know, all these moments that are not so sexy or like that you launched and only the only orders you got were from people who were your yeah. friends. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Or like the days where you're not getting that many orders or the operational issues that goes on behind the scenes. Like, I mean, I would love to talk to you for like another podcast. I'm sure even getting to Sephora nationally, like I'm just thinking on the back end, like that must've just been so much work. Like there's so many moving parts to just create that product that we don't even have enough time to talk through. So yes, it's not always glamorous. (laughs) This is a true story, but we were just in a meeting right before this. And we spent like photo shoots are very expensive and models have, you know, you can only use their, they have rights, right? So you only get to use them for like two years. And then one of the girls on my team was like, you know that we have to do another photo shoot because those photos are are going to expire. And literally I almost started crying. I was like, you want me to spend how much more money? (laughs) It's really hard. Like you feel like there are days where I just feel like you're catching me on one. I just feel like everything's you're just like all day, like, okay, fine. I'll pay that rush fee. Fine. Yes. Oh, oh my gosh. It's going to be late again. Okay, fine. I'll do th- You just feel like you're getting bad news all day oh long. Yeah. And then you read, it's small things too. It's like you read a review and someone's like, this really changed my skin. And 
I don't know. Eva Chen posted this morning. We've gifted her so many times. And like she posted this morning, this is the lip gloss that made me believe in lip gloss again. And I was like, what? (laughs) It's it's so funny because similarly, like the past three days have been so chaotic for me. And I'm like, is Mercury in retrograde? Like what is going on? And they're like, no, it's not. I don't know what's going on. But similar to you, I have a really big production run that, you know, we're still early. I'm still involved with it. Very hands-on. And like, Every single thing that could happen with getting our seeds on time just happened. Like they called me and said, you know what? It didn't ship. And I was like, I'm about to do a massive run. It didn't work out. And even then other seeds had issues. I was having nightmares last night. Like so many moving parts oh, of, right? Like- my sleep hygiene has yeah. never worse. I am, yeah. I drink more coffee than I've ever had. I take melatonin at night. Because yes. I can't, I know. I'm just racing all the time. I'm always trying to think of like my to-do list, everybody else's to-do list. But at the same time, I don't know. I'm also like, I have to pause and be like, I get to have this opportunity to do this thing that I always wanted to do. Yeah, exactly. It's like getting yourself back in gratitude of like how you get to do this and also like leaning into your customers that you make such an impact for you're like okay all the stresses it's worth it and you know what at the end of the day even with those rush fees because I'm dealing with that too it always works out somehow I don't know you know somehow it works out maybe it's like our hustle behind the scenes and the stress of making things happen but it somehow always does but I just want to say that because I completely am in that same mindset (laughs) of just chaos right now I get that (laughs) if anybody else out there is listening you're doing great. <laughs> it's exactly. So it is. And we, we totally get it, but hopefully it's worth it at the end of the day. And you know, one thing, oh, I just realized we're hitting up our time, but I'd love to end on one last question. You know, you mentioned early on in the interview, as well as a dinner that we were at together, like you are so passionate about work, your husband, your friends, your family, self-care, like you want all of this. So clearly with a high growth business, it's tough to kind of manage everything. So what is your state of mind? I know this week is probably unique with everything you have to do with the photo shoot, but like, how are you kind of managing all these moving parts in your life? And I selfishly ask because we don't have kids yet, but it's something I often think about a lot. Yeah. I don't think there's a right. I mean, it's the question of like, when should you have a business? When should you have kids? There's no right answer, right? And I think it's never easy. Like people, having one kid wasn't easy for me. Having two wasn't easy. Having three kids is not easy. And now I feel like this business is my fourth child. You know, I really take it to heart when I'm sure you've heard this quote before too, but like that you can have it all, but you just can't have it all at once. And I think that's true. And I think the thing that I'm happy that I did in my life is I think I've taken time to not ignore different parts of my life, but I have focused on certain things at different points. So one would argue like when I took time off from my job in a full-time capacity, I was choosing my family. And I think if I hadn't done that and I hadn't put the time in and really, this part might've been harder. I mean, maybe this is my own experience. So it's harder for me to say, but I don't know. I think you can't just be like, okay, but then one day I'm going to be happy later. I'm going to do this right now. I'm going to work really hard and I'm going to ignore my friends, I'm going to ignore my family, and then later when I just have a bunch of money, I'll be happy, or something like that. I don't think that's really the way it goes. Like, you can't, it's okay to focus on different things at different times, but you can't let go of anything, ever, right? Like, you have to pay attention, because I think a lot of times we think about, I'll be happy when, and I think that's a really dangerous game to play because even for me, like, do I think about exiting? Sure. I'd love to sell the company because to me, it feels like graduation. Like the idea of doing, frankly, anything for the rest of my life feels hard. I'd love to be able to sell the company, but at the same time, like if I'm not having fun today, when things are going well, when am I ever going to be having, what do I want to get out of this? It can't be about that. I think sometimes like if you look at people, like you get what you want in life, but you get everything, right? So like, do you want if you prioritize the financial success, is that at the expense of other things potentially, right? And so I think you have to just like keep paying attention and keep being really clear with yourself about what you want. One of the things I really want out of this experience, frankly, is just, this is my community. I've worked in the same industry now for 18 years. I, if I can, what I'd really like to do is just to make my little corner of the world a little bit better. So I do try to work with a lot of other, like I have a program called the Clean Beauty Summer School. 
one of my intentions around that really is because I want the face of the beauty industry to look different. When I was a kid growing up, I didn't see people that looked like me in images that were considered beautiful, right? There weren't models that were Asian. And I think the more people of color we put into those positions, the more likely we are to see different aspirations of beauty. I also think it's really important that like, I try to be, I'm not perfect by any means, but I think the fact that I've been an employee for a long time, I hope makes me a better manager. And I'm trying to role model for my team, hopefully what it looks like to be a founder and a manager who can be empathetic and kind as well. Recently, one of the girls on my team, and I'm sure she meant it in all the nicest ways, she said to me, she's a young girl, and she said to me, you know, Amy, I always thought that like being female and a CEO meant that you had to be like kind of masculine and that you couldn't have kids and you had to be a certain type of a person. And I would actually argue in the past, I think I thought that too. And she was like, but I'm looking at you. And she's like, I think your kids really like you. I was like, well, I really hope so. (laughs) So I don't know. I mean, I will say I'm not good at a lot of things. One of them being probably like, I'm trying to do a better job of taking care of myself. I'm trying to do a better job of, I think, especially in COVID, I was not good about keeping in touch with my friends. I was really focused on just like family and work. But I think as long as you just keep showing up, and being really conscious of what it is that you want in life. Yes. Oh, Amy, well, this was amazing. I wish we could talk for more. We'll have to do it another time again, but it was such a joy having you on. Oh, thanks, Yasmin. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.